This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm going to speak this morning from Romans chapter 8, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to pull together some ends that we've been touching on for the last number of weeks. <clears throat> and so if I touch on something that you're not sure what I'm talking about, just go and listen for some time in the last six weeks, because I've kind of covered a lot of these points. <clears throat> but I'm trying to pull, pull them together in, in, a, in a single way. Um, I'm always a little bit reticent and nervous about making sure that what I'm presenting actually is practical and applicable to things. Um, and sometimes it, it concerns me a little bit because I don't want to be too theoretical. The thing about it is what I want to present to you today, I'm trying to balance those things, but I want you to understand what I'm trying to present to you fundamentally is a model that God has really prepared for how we partner with him. And so I would like for you to take what I give you today, and I'd like for you to overlay your life in that. <clears throat> you can fill in the blanks and you can fill in the detail, but I want to take you on that, on that journey. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took on a body and came and lived among us. And the main reason, <coughs> one of the main reasons that he did that was he wanted to model for us who the Father was. He wanted to give us an expression and an understanding, a tangible realization of who the Father was. And he walked the earth and he did incredible things that manifested the heart of who God was. <coughs> The thing about it is, it led to a point where he died for something that was more consequential than that. He died for the opportunity, not so that he could model who the Father was for you, so that the very Spirit of Christ could come and live inside you. There is a huge, huge reality to that. It's the fundamental aspect of what our Christianity is all about. It's the thing that drives everything. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the, the foundation to all that we are and everything that we're about. And in that space, the thing is, we, we move very often in Christian circles and we go to church and we read a lot of stuff and we do this and we do that. And it's like we, we almost, it comes off our lips so comfortably. I'm born again. I have the life of God inside of me. But do we sometimes sit back and think about how consequential that is? You have the God of the universe living on the inside of you. You have the God of the universe on the inside of you. He never came into your life to leave you as you are. He came into that space because his intention was to invade your life in every aspect of your life. The thing is, God works differently to the way that we work. We work from the outside inwards because that's what we are. We, we're more comfortable in the natural realm. But he's spirit. And so he works from the inside out. And so what I really want to touch on today and what I want to expound on a little bit is how does God work with us and how do we partner with him? We've been speaking over the last few weeks on how he created us and how he put us together and the different aspects to our being and how they interrelated. And so I want to bring that cohesion together today. What did you learn from your history? What did you learn from where you've been? Everybody picked up stuff from where you, because we went through formative years. 
All of us have stuff that we've picked up along the way. It wasn't the situations that were problematic. It wasn't the issues. It wasn't the challenges. It wasn't the relationships. It was the interpretation of what happened there that we began to digest. And we used, to, and we used those things to take root on the inside of who we are. And we spoke last week in particular about the fact that once those things begin to define who we are, it starts to become a part of our identity. And when it becomes a part of our identity and that's who I am, it becomes a model that begins to inform my behavior. So when I'm a person who gets to a place where I see myself as being a failure in life and life is tough and I'm a victim and things are awful and things are bad and I can't succeed and I feel insecure, I move to a place where it defines who I am. And as a result of who I am, it, re- it translates into my behavior patterns. I'm reticent. I'm reserved. I don't try things. I don't have confidence. Who I am affects how I live. What becomes so important for us in that space is recognizing that who I am and the identity of who I am is is the catalyst for changing how I live. Behaviorists can't change that. They're looking at the fruit and not the root. That's the problem. They want to talk to you about how you can change your behavior. Behavior is nothing more than a product of who you are. If you change who you are, it'll change how you live. We've grown up with stuff. And all of us, because we grew up in environments that were peppered by the influence of sin, have had parts to who we are defined by that. None of us all grew up in perfect environments and perfect households with perfect parents and perfect fathers and perfect mothers. None of us went to perfect schools and had perfect friends. None of us participated in sports perfectly. So what happens is all of those imperfections had opportunities to filter into our life and give definition to some extent to a greater or lesser degree to who I am. And in defining who that is, is defining how I live. The wonderful thing about the the word of God is this. You know what it says? Change is possible. The wonderful thing about Christ moving in to your life is he brings with him the possibility of change. You don't have to continue to be who you've been all of your life. You can change. You don't have to live how you've lived your whole life. You can change. You don't have to have the same behavioral patterns. You don't have to have the same language. You don't have to have the same attitudes. You don't have to have the same dispositions. You can change. The good thing about what Christ brings into your life are possibilities. You're not stuck. Too many people are stuck. Do you know how many people we have that come in for sozos and they will tell you how many years they've been sitting on the couch with a psychologist and a psychiatrist? We had somebody in recently, well, actually a few months ago, and they were like, I've been with a psychiatrist for 20 years. I came for one sozo. And things happen in my life. Why? Because God says to you, you don't have to be stuck. 
He can do something in your life and can shift some stuff. He can take some things away. He can free you and move you to a place where you can move into a different way of living, a different way of defining who you are, a different way of freedom and expression of that. He moves you into those spaces. The problem with so many Christians is we've, divide, we've defined our reality. We've defined our present lifestyle around our sin. Sin influence. I may not necessarily have sinned, but I developed an identity outside of God's influence in those places. And all of a sudden, that becomes the definition for how I live. I'm insecure. I'm a victim. Where did it come from? That didn't come from God. But I'm allowing my past to give definition to who I am. And what I'm doing is I'm developing a whole lifestyle around this identity. This is how I live. This is how I do or do not engage. This is how I do or do not do things. Because my past is giving definition to who I am. And I've developed a lifestyle around this whole aspect. It's why my past is influencing my future. I can't shake it. I'm stuck in that space. You know what's so wonderful about the Bible? They were people just like us. And you know what the amazing thing is about all of the authors of the Bible? Not anywhere do you read. We're not expecting terribly much from you because I know you had a rough upbringing. I don't expect you to grow particularly well because you had tough parents. I don't expect terribly much from you. And if you do anything, it'll be a miracle because people were cruel to you. You never read that. What you read is, you know what? Christ died for you. Turn from your idols and worship the living true God. We spoke last week about idols. What are idols? Idols are those aspects to who we are, things that we associate and worth and value with and we allow into our life and they start to give definition to who we are, but they show nothing of the life or the influence of God. And because I live from that place, my behaviors emanate from that place. What he's saying is, you don't have to live from your idols anymore. You can pull your idols down and you can live from what God has to offer you. I'm not making light of how difficult some people's upbringings are. Because some people have really had very tough upbringings. But what I can tell you is this. The encouragement that Jesus gives to you is this. The more tough your upbringing was, the more reason to leave it behind. The more difficult it was, the more reason to move on. Don't let it continue to define you. Break the chains. I don't want to be in that space anymore. I don't want it to define who I am or how I live. I'm moving into something new. There is a wonderful scripture in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. And you know what it says? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Whatever's happened to you, grace abounds much more. Whatever's influenced you, grace abounds much more. Whatever's given definition to who you are, grace abounds much more. Whatever kind of abuse you may have suffered, grace abounds much more. Grace is there. It's a provision to sit and say, you don't have to be who you were. You can move into something new. You can step into something different. You can become a different person and you can live differently. Not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. He's coming to live inside of you because he's bringing change. But he needs your partnership. 
He needs your partnership. <clears throat> if you have a look at <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. By faith you have been saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Do you know what he's saying? God has gifted you something to change your life. Change doesn't happen without substance. I need something to change my life. I can't just hope things change. What are you going to build a new identity out of? What are you going to build new behaviors out of? What are you going to build a new future out of? I got to have some substance. What substance have you got? I got a gift. I got a gift. It's called grace. And you know what it is? It's a provision for me to begin to step into newness, to let go of where I was and to change. I'm not bound anymore. It's a practical way that God's sitting saying, everything that used to define who you are, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm going to give you a gift. So at this point, draw a line in the sand and sit and say, I'm in the process of redefinition. You want to redefine your life? He says to you right there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the, but according to the. He's saying to you, I'm going to tell you, you want to walk into this grace and you want to walk into newness of life. I'm going to tell you how to do it. It has everything to do with walking. When you walk, it's going to determine where you walk from, which is the source. And what you walk with, the substance. You do, if you're going to live from the flesh, what ends up happening is it becomes the source and the substance of my life. Everything that happens around me, everything that people tell me, every experience that I have, everywhere that I go has a free filter into my life and the opportunity to give definition to who I am. And when it defines who I am, it becomes the model for how I live. Do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is he saying? You want to change your life, change your substance. All of a sudden, it's at a place where I'm sitting saying, I don't want to be like everybody else. I have been given a gift. It's called grace, and it's been imparted to me. I have the prerogative. I have the opportunity. I have the privilege, and I have the honor to live from a new place. It's called spirit. When I live from spirit, it becomes the substance that begins to redefine. It's the source of everything that I need for redefinition and stepping into something new. It's about change. My future is not going to look like my past. I have opportunities. Every day is a day that is open to discovery. What is he going to show you today? What is he going to show you about yourself and your life and your family? Because it's an invitation. What he's saying is, let's partner and move into something new. Let's move into something different. So they have a, a term and a principle that they talk about in terms of natural psychological growth. It's called the whole concept of nature. <clears throat> and nurture. So you've all heard of it. The whole idea of nature is there are certain things that are imparted to you that you don't have any say over. So you had no influence over your height or how much hair you do or don't have, the color of your eyes, 
your body style. Those were all things that through nature were imparted to you that defined who you were. But then there is another place called nurture. <clears throat> and in the space called nurture, nurture is all about the environment that we place ourselves in and the degree to which that has an influence in defining the variables that we can influence. My behavior, my attitude, my disposition. It used to be a pretty clear split between things. But then they discovered something quite interesting. It's actually a lot more intermingled and a lot more complex than imagined. Because the challenge is this. Most often, the people that are responsible for you getting your genetic nature are the ones who also nurture you. So what ends up happening is the nature that was the source of your nature is also very instrumental in your nurture. It was instrumental in your nature, it's also instrumental in your nurture. So what it's saying is this, you gain certain things from me that you had no influence over, but the very same things that influence who I am and my attitude and my disposition have a lot of sway in the environment in which you're gonna grow up in. The reason that you look so much like your parents and your household, the reason that you're so comfortable in that space is because it wasn't only about nature, but it was about nurture as well. And so both of those components become really important when it comes to spiritual things, ironically, because there are certain things that you're going to get through nature and there are other things that you're going to get through nurture. So, quick review. You're basically made up of two key components, two materials, spirit and body. Natural material, spiritual material. Spiritual material is you are a spirit being, that's who you are. And that the very essence and the heart of who you are is what you call your mind. Your mind is what gives definition to who you are. It is the center of your will. In that place, you, you, you gain an identity and your personality. That's who I am. It's spirit-based. When your spirit leaves your body, that goes with it. Then you have this side here. It's body and everything that goes with body, but it includes brain. Brain is what God gave you so that we can live in the natural realm. It has access to your senses, and it's all about reading the world and the environment and gaining all of the inputs that it can so that it, it, it's, be able to, it's able to process them. And then what we can do is we can live in that environment in an effective and successful way. When spirit and who you are goes into body, Genesis says you became a living soul. What it means is it is all of those components pulled together. And so when, it, when we're in that place, we are still spirit being. That's the essence of who you are. But the thing is, you're running a whole entity now. You have the spiritual side to who you are. You have access to your brain and your body because that's how you deal with the world. So all of those things come into play. So if you have a look at... Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. 
It says, I will give you a new heart. A heart. A heart is a synonym for your mind. It's the person of who you are. Okay. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What he's talking about here is nature. What he's saying is the moment you do recognize God and you appreciate God and you sit and say, I want to have a relationship with you, Father. He says, you know what? I've given you the opportunity to do that. The doorway is called Christ. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, what ends up happening is he comes on the inside and his nature redefines you. It's something that happens instantaneously. It's called being born again because it's instantaneous. All of a sudden, at that very moment, God's nature comes in and redefines us. So spiritually, my spirit being now has the nature of God in it. But he doesn't just end there. You know what else he says? He says, I'm going to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. What he's saying is, in the space called your spirit, that internal part, that place that defines the, the, the space between he and I, he's moving into that, but he's going to also change my heart. What he's talking about is this. Your heart used to be distant from me, and so you had no capacity or ability to be able to relate to me. You couldn't have dialogue with me. You couldn't come to the place where you and I had communion on a regular basis because you were cold. But what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, something that's going to be soft and pliable, something that all of a sudden is going to begin to recognize our ability to be able to connect with and have relationship with God. It becomes important because he's introducing us to a new way of living. As a born-again believer, we, we, we straddle those, both of those divides, but God calls us to place an emphasis and a priority on developing an understanding and a relationship with God who's inside of me. And the way that he does that is through making our heart pliable and receptive to that. God has always been talking. The problem with it is we just didn't pick up on it. There are things happening in the waves all the time around here. You just don't pick up on it. But you get a satellite dish, and all of a sudden, I've got a picture. How did that happen? It wasn't that all of a sudden in that moment, suddenly there were, there, you know, the satellite communication. That communication was happening all the time. We just didn't have the ability to be able to link into it. So what he's saying is, I'm giving you the ability to link into it. Everything and your Christian life is encapsulated right there in that space. It defines our ability to be able to move into the things of God in a meaningful way. He calls us to develop a different way of living. We're accustomed to living from natural, but now he calls us to become aware of the fact that there is a spirit dimension to us. Not only that, but his life is on the inside of us and he's calling us to connect with that life and commune with that life. It's something that happens instantaneously. And then he carries on and he says, I will put my spirit, that's an uppercase S, that's talking Holy Spirit. The first spirit was your spirit. He's going to make your spirit new. The second is an uppercase S. 
It's Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and for you to keep my judgments and do them. What he's saying is this. When I've moved into that space and my life is in that space, I've made you brand new. The potential and the opportunity for reinvention in every part of your life is going to flow from that space. In that place, God's presence lives. But the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start to have influence in who you are. It's called renewing the mind. Your mind is not immediately renewed at the new birth. We're called to renewing our mind. It's process. It's nurture. I gave you my spirit because in that space, the spirit is going to take those things of mine and he's going to impart them to you spirit to spirit. God never speaks to your brain. God never speaks to your brain. God speaks to you. You are spirit. The Bible speaks of spirit to spirit communication. The Holy Spirit is going to take the things of God and impart them to you, your spirit, my mind, my heart. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What it's saying is that is you. That's how you become a new person. The challenge with it is this. Because he's not satisfied with you just knowing about that stuff, he wants you to experience it. He wants you to experience him. It was the challenge that Paul had in Romans chapter 7 where Paul was like, I know what I should be doing, but I don't do it. And I know what I shouldn't be doing, but I do do it. What is he saying? He said, I know that I have the life of God on the inside of me. My mind is being renewed. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament just saying. But the problem is I've got this issue with my body. It's about nurture. Born again, nature. Renewed mind, nurture. Train the body, nurture. The spirit is going to be with us. The spirit is doing something because the spirit is wanting to change who we are. He's wanting us to be introduced to who the father is, not only in a spiritual sense, not only in terms of defining who we are, but when that begins to model our behavior, it changes the way we live. Um, Where was I going with this now? Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. What I would propose to you is this. I haven't always known how God works. I knew what he, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff like, you know, um, be renewed in your mind. And we say, yes, glory be. And it's like, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I didn't know how to do that. We say a lot of stuff, but I didn't know how to do it. What I'm trying to give you today is I'm trying to give you how to do it. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. What he's saying is you could be well-intentioned, but if you don't know how to partner with me, if you don't understand my ways and my plans and how I work, the problem with it is it's difficult for me to marry, for me to marry myself to what he's trying to do because I think he's doing this and he's like, where are you? That's not my point. You're looking for me to step into that place and you want my nature there. I'm trying to nurture you. You're looking for me to come in and instantaneously change something, but that's not how I do that. What I'm trying to do is partner with you. I gave you my spirit because I'm nurturing you in that space. And if you get into that place with my spirit, what will end up happening is my spirit will be able to work with you and the spirit does what you can't do. But it's about nurturing. 
Things don't always happen instantaneously. You want to know what his plan is? 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace himself. Who's going to do this? He is. Okay? This is his initiative. This is his plan. My responsibility is to find out what do you want to do and how can I partner with you? Neither God of peace himself sanctify you. You know what sanctification is? Here's my definition. I'm here to nurture you so you can become like me. That's what sanctification is about. Sanctification is saying I've given you my spirit and my spirit in that space is going to nurture you so that you can become a different person. So that your identity and how you define yourself and the way you think and the way that you feel and the way that you see life, all of the essence of those things is defined by, by me. There are certain things that God, I'll get to that in a minute, but that's what he's going to do. And then he's going to move into our behaviors and he's going to train us. Sanctify you completely. He's not happy with a half a job. When God moved into your life, it wasn't that he put his life on the inside of you so we could walk around and sit and say, I'm born again. What his purpose and his intention was that you walk into fullness of life, life of a superior nature. It means full definition, redefinition of who I am. It means me realizing the fact that he has set before me a destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he's partnering with me and he's sitting saying, along the journey, we're going to have to do this together in partnership. And what we're going to do is we have an end result. We know where we're going. We know what it looks like. You want to know what you're going to look like? Open the book. The process of walking into it, being born again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are being, being made brand new. What is he saying? Nature, you've just been born. you got some stuff that you could never get in and of yourself, and it's instantaneous. He moved into that space, and he lives in that space. He gives us a heart that is receptive and open to relationship with him. The spirit that's inside of us. I'm going to tarry a little bit here. Now we're going to get into Romans. Um, I want to look at Romans 8 verses 5 and 6. The next thing he's going to do is, now that he's put his life and he's put his nature on the inside of who he is, he says, I'm going to move to a place where I want you to begin to understand and have an appreciation for what I'm all about. And in that space, what's going to happen is it's going to be transformational in your life. The way that our mind is renewed is through revelation, not information. Information is of the brain. You can go and get information and even read your Bible in that space. And it's good to have those things. Nothing wrong with that. It's called logos or logic, but it's not transformational. What he's saying is, I want for you to come to me. When you recognize that I am on the inside of you and you come to that place and you allow the life that's on the inside of you to make an impartation to you, it's not information, it's revelation. What happens with it is, I'm not just telling you that you need to be a person who lives from love. I birth a seed of love on the inside of you. And it carries within it the very life to make you a loving person. You don't get life from your head. You get life from the spirit. 
When he says, I've called you to be a person of self-control, you don't get that from your head. It'll tell you what you should be doing. The problem with it is the life of self-control comes when I bet together with him and allow him to put that seed on the inside of me because it brings with it the life that's in the seed. Every time you plant a seed in the ground, you don't have to put the life with it. The life is in the seed. You're putting revelation in the ground because it grows. Every time you get together with the Holy Spirit, he's putting life in you. That's the difference between revelation and logic or logos. It's life-based. Everything I get from him comes from life and it's designed to change who you are. I mean, he's on a mission to change your heart, to make it renewed, once again new. I'm taking you back to my original design and who you were intended to be. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Somewhere in here. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, their minds, their minds, heart is synonym, on the things of the flesh. You're a conformist as long as you're living that way. You're listening to your world and your senses and your environment and your people and letting all of that stuff in. But those who live according to the spirit, uppercase S, the one who's been put on the inside of there to nurture you. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what changes us. That's why he gave you a heart of flesh. Because I can't get revelation unless I can build relationship with him. All I can do is I can live with information and I'm trying to be a good Christian, but I got no life. The essence of our Christianity comes in connecting and building relationship with the life of God on the inside of me. Because from that place stems life. It changes who I am. I become a different person. My heart and my mind suddenly starts to take on his image. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The law was not a bad thing. The law was good. Because you know what the law did? The law says, okay, let me tell you what's right and what's wrong. This is what God's expectation is. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem with it is the law is not your savior. So when you try and live by the law, suddenly you realize I can't do this. The law was not the problem. The problem was we looked at the law as being the savior. So we try to let that define how we lived. Jesus is the savior. He's the one who gives life. What he's saying in that verse is this, the law and those things that you know how you should be living, if you come to me, I will write them on your heart. What he's saying is the revelation that I give you and the impartation that I make into your life is designed to transform who you are. You will become what you should be. You don't have to try and live like it. It will become you. That's what he's saying in that verse. It all goes back to life. It's full of the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to ignite something on the inside of us, which redefines who we are and what we're all about. Oh, oh. 
the infamous brain. I have to, I'm going to run on a little bit. So if you need to leave, I appreciate that. It's, it's okay. Um, nature, born on the inside of me. Nurture my mind, my heart, becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And then it gets down to the whole thing about, well, how do you live? Romans 8, verse 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, are you born again? Okay, he's talking to you. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, is it dwelling in you? Okay, look what he does. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a resurrection of the way you behave and the way that you live. What he's saying is you don't have to be controlled by your habits anymore. Remember, we spoke about the body and how the brain is trained. What ends up happening is because I've got history and because that history started to define who I was, I started to give a definition to my behavioral patterns from an identity that never had God in it. And so what ended up happening was I lived differently to what God intended. My body learned really quickly. You know what? When you're a person who is, is um, upset about something, when you get angry, you get a result. And you do it a few times, and what's your brain doing all the time? It's learning. Oh, that's a, that's a good way to behave. So what happens is every time the stimulus is there, the behavior kicks in. Every time you feel as though it's like, you know, I, I'm a person who, who's lacking in security in certain areas. What ends up happening is, what, what behaviors am I learning? Move into the shadows. Stay away from the lionite. Don't commit yourself to anything. What am I teaching myself? I'm training my brain all the time. And your brain is designed to run from habit because that's what makes you successful and easy. You don't think about getting up. You don't think about walking. You don't think about lifting the glass to have a glass of water. You don't think about those things because your brain's being trained. All you have to say is, let's go, and you're off. That's what happens. Your brain has been trained that way. And so when we start developing an identity that's outside of God, we develop habits. We train our brain certain ways. And before we can stop anything, our brain kicks in in situations and we go, why did I handle it that way? Because it was trained. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying, I know I shouldn't do this stuff. Why is it happening? It's because his body. Okay, I, I am rushing a little bit. Just give me a... I'm, I'm, I'm. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It tells us, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are older, they won't depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. This is the problem when you have parents who are reactionary. Your child does something, and what do we say? Don't do that! It's dangerous! Don't do that, you'll burn yourself. Don't do that, it's nasty. Don't do that, it's hurtful. This is the problem. Reaction reparenting teaches a child what not to do, but it doesn't train them up in what they should be doing. They don't learn. They don't learn. 
and are they not trained? This is the way that you handle that. All they learn is that is a bad thing. If you're a parent, train your child up. Show them the right way. Why? Because I'm affecting behavior patterns. The brain is kicking in and the brain is learning something in that place. What is it learning? It's just a bad thing. And if you do it, you're a bad person. That's all it's getting. But when you train them up and you show them, this is what to do and this is why you do it and this is how you do it. What are you doing? You're training them up. And you may have to do it a few times because you know what? You never got walking right the first time you stood up either. But you're training the brain. So what's happening is the brain is learning all the time. This is what I should be doing and this is how I should be doing it. This is the, this is the gist. God's not interested in what you shouldn't be doing. He's interested in who you are. He's interested in who you are. If you discover who you are as a son of God, you won't have to worry about how you behave. It'll take care of itself. He's training you up to be a son. His focus is, this is what you should do as a son. The problem that we have as Christians is that we reaction with Christians. And so when something happens in our life, we go, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I know it. The problem with it is I'm not in relationship with the Holy Spirit where I sit and say, Holy Spirit, I need some new patterns here. Come and train me differently. Because the thing about it is I, I need to retrain. I need some new brains um, matters here so that I deal with the stuff differently. And all I do is I sit and say, I shouldn't be doing this. And then I feel bad as a Christian because I know I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Why? Because I didn't train my brain. I didn't train my brain. I didn't invite the Holy Spirit into do stuff like that. God is interested in showing you who you are as a son of God. <clears throat> you can, if you stop doing the things you shouldn't be doing, you will still never learn what it is to live as a son. It'll never teach you and train you up what it is to be a son. But if you learn to live as a son, what'll end up happening is it'll translate and change the way you behave. The thing about it is we don't know how to behave the way we should. So what he says to us is this. Romans chapter 8. Verses 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the, these are the. What he's saying is this. I see you as a son. And I've given you my Spirit. And the Spirit is going to walk you into realizing and walking into new patterns of behavior that will train your brain. We don't know how to do that because all we've ever done is live as we've always lived. And so when a, a stimulus comes up, we respond the same way. But the Spirit knows. And if we get to that place where we allow the Spirit to renew our minds, 
What ends up happening is we end up with what they call the mind of Christ. What does it mean? It means that I see things, situations, people, circumstances the way that he does. I feel them the way he does. I approach my life from the perspective of Christ, and it introduces me to the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to take the feelings and the truth and the thinking associated with that and to begin to do an impartation into the way that my brain functions. It's the Holy Spirit leading me, so in training my brain, so that not only do I know who I am, but I begin to live that way. <clears throat> Can I just make one point and then, then I, I promise I'm finished? You know why you don't want to change? Because your bad behaviors make you feel good. <clears throat> your bad behaviors make you feel good. Because you're not. You've got chemistry in your brain. Jim and I chat about it. He's on the ball with chemistry. <clears throat> you've got chemistry in your brain. And the thing about it is, every time you move to a place where you get a, an emotional kick from that, it feels good. serotonin. I like it when I'm leading things. I like it when I'm in charge. It feels so good because you know what? It feeds my serotonin. Oh, it just feels good. I don't think serotonin. I just know it feels good. The reason I'm so competitive, the reason that I want to do that stuff is because every time I achieve, every time I hit the finish line before somebody else, every time I do something quicker and better than anybody else, man, I had a dopamine fix. Oh, that's so good. Man, it feels good. Oxytocin. We have a whole bunch of them. You know what they do? They invite us to live outside of the invitation of God. Because what happens is I can have certain behaviors that are not what God wants, but they feel so good when I do them. <laughs> I don't go to him as the source of life. I like to get a quick fix. <clears throat> the funny thing about it is this. You were created with that chemistry for a reason. And God wants to use that chemistry because he wants you to experience him. The thing is, he doesn't want the stimulus in your world touching that stuff. He wants the spirit that's on the inside of who you are, redefining who you are. And when you get that kick, what ends up happening is you affect parts of your brain. And all of a sudden, the oxytocin kicks in. And the serotonin is balanced. And the dopamine is working. Why? It's because of what I get from him. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Fantastic plan for your life. He never moved into the neighborhood without a reason. You didn't have to buy his house. You just had to give him the land. He built the house. Now that he's in the neighborhood, he wants to come and make friends. 
And when he makes friends with you, he's going to influence your world. And when he's influencing your world, he's going to say, can I come out into your garden and come and work with you a little bit so we can change some of this stuff? Because you don't have the nicest yard in the neighborhood. It's invasive. That's the intention. In him I live and move and have my being. The essence of everything that I am and the way that I'm defined and the way that I live comes as a result of his nature inside and the nurturing of his spirit. You have a role to play because he gave you something called a will. You have the prerogative of choosing and setting the limits for where you want God to go. So your homework. It's easy. Who likes easy homework? Go and live life with the Holy Spirit. Don't get one of those weird Christians with your finger on your pulse every two seconds. Am I in? Am I out? Am I this? Am I that? Don't do that. Just go and live life. Realize that he's in there and that he's always talking. And develop a sensitivity to his promptings. And when you're at a place where he's wanting to make input, you will know it. You don't have to go hunting. He will let you know. And you'll walk in a situation and you'll walk away and go, oh. And he'll say, so what do you want to do? What do you want to do? The invitation is always there. This is where Christianity gets real. This is where Christianity gets practical. Father, I just want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you for the life of Christ on the inside of us. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence with every person. I want to thank you for everyone who's born again. I want to thank you that you never leave them nor forsake them. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're there on a mission. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to invade the space called our life. Interrogate our identity and deposit life. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to work with us in developing new behavior patterns that emanate from a renewed mind. I thank you that you look to be experienced and encountered in our lives. I thank you for a week of purpose for every person, a week of purpose and intentionality. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.